0: Hello, and welcome back to the Q's Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the Communications Specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Everything Flows LaPierre does is driven by a desire to make society better. From an early age, LaPierre learned that the best way to bring about change is to get involved in a cause. When she was in high school, she organized her classmates to march in protest against how the school board was allocating public school funds while deciding which schools closed and which schools stayed open. She saw firsthand the impact that community organizing could have. After graduating from Syracuse University with dual degrees in sociology and public relations, LaPierre worked to help Miami-Dade County adopt affordable housing policies while learning how to mobilize the power of people to make change happen. As the world continues to grapple with issues of racial injustice and police brutality, LaPierre has cultivated her community organizing skills— Rallying her fellow Los Angeles residents to stand up against injustices and racism. This fall, LaPierre is launching a 21 day challenge where people will learn to become active and involved citizens. She's also leading a push to get more people registered to vote for the upcoming November elections, and she's holding Right to Heal workshops where participants learn to harness the power of writing to heal from their trauma. LaPierre has a fantastic story to share with our alumni about making a difference, empowering people to speak up for themselves, seek justice, and make the world a better place. Floes, I'm so happy you made the time. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yes, of course. I'm excited about this.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a chance to tell your story. And, uh, you know, your story has an orange tint to it, starting back with Syracuse. And being somebody who, uh, for our audience, to let them know, she's a Haitian descent her father was a congressman and her mother was a teacher and they moved to the united states when you were eight years old so you get into this country early on and obviously you acclimated you know quite well and you're you're accomplished with your career you're accomplished with what you've done you know as being a community organizer we use that word community organizer before we go through all the parts of your story how would you describe what that means to you and how you're embodying that activist organizing kind of spirit especially I mean, let's be honest, there's so many things that are taking place between COVID-19, the George Floyd protests, the racial unrest around the world. Where do you see yourself fitting in as a community organizer?
1: Absolutely. So I trained as a community organizer in uh, Miami-Dade County, specifically with an organization called DART. And I worked with an organization called People Acting for Community Together. And as a trained organizer, I learned how to mobilize the power of people to make change happen. So that's sort of like the basis of my community organizing uh, or the foundation for my community organizing career. Presently, what it means to be a community organizer for me, it's prioritizing rest. It's prioritizing care for myself. um, And then it's choosing one way that I can have an impact on what it is I care about. Because there are just so many different routes you can go right now. I've always been concerned with issues relating to race and racism um, and seeking justice for folks who, t- who just don't have it because of the structure of our country. Um, and so for me right now, that means participating in a group of people and we're creating this 21 day challenge. Uh, It's at the very beginning of things, but the point of the challenge is really to introduce people to ways they can become active citizens in the US or active people in America. Um, And it specifically discusses racism. It talks about police brutality. um, It talks about what does police abolition and reformation actually mean. So presently that's what it means, being a community organizer.
0: And being in Los Angeles, that area has been one of the hotter locales when it comes to the protest scene and the, again, social uh, justice movements. There's been a lot that's been taking place in Los Angeles. As someone who is involved and wants to make their community a better place, what have you been seeing when it comes to the activist spirit, um, the social movement scene? How how effective are those campaigns being and, and what do you think are some of the underlying goals that are trying to be accomplished, especially where you are in Los Angeles?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I am new to the LA County community. I've been here for about seven months, uh, but I have definitely seen an active community. Um, I've seen marches. I've seen protests. Um, I've seen, you know, basically blocks long of people marching with signs in unity with their masks on um, peacefully. And, you know, I have kind of uh, conflicting opinions about using the word peaceful protest when talking about protests, especially being from Haiti, because change is not always peaceful, um, especially when it has to do with human life. And we're talking about the need to protect Black people people in this country and people of color in this country, Um, and we're seeing murders take place on camera, and that's not peaceful. (laughs) So putting the call back on folks who are saying, you know, stop killing us, um, putting the call back on them to say, be peaceful, don't burn things down and that sort of thing is, I find it really, really tricky. Um, But I've definitely been seeing a really active community here physically in LA County. Um, And I've also seen things, you know, like bus signs, which comes from the city of Glendale, which is where I live, where they're, you know, saying Black Lives Matter and trans lives matter. And uh, so that's really encouraging as well to see that coming from the city of Glendale community. Um, But specifically, the online community has also been really charged and really exciting uh, to see that come about. And it's been exciting for me to take part in it as well. But seeing folks, you know, sort of asking themselves questions about what does it mean to be an ally? Uh, What does it mean to be an activist, especially this time considering the pandemic? Like, what does it mean to put your body on the line when we're afraid for our health and we're afraid for those we love? And But still, I'm seeing just a lot of activity and I'm taking part myself and I'm seeing that within my social circles. So it feels really energizing.
0: You mentioned a really, I thought, poignant phrase when talking about what you're trying to accomplish. You said the power of people to make change happen. When all of this is happening, there's a thought out there that how can I, how can one person really make a difference when you're going up against an establishment, when you're going up against a government or an opposition that is trying to squash your viewpoint. How do you feel it's best for someone, and this might be a loaded question, but for someone who's just one person, to focus on trying to make that change happen. What are some of the more effective tools and tricks that they can use in their, in their tool belt, if you will, to affect change?
1: That's a great question. I absolutely believe in the power of people and that has to start with yourself. So for me, it's really knowing my personal story. It's knowing why I feel so With, I guess just in my essence, that every single human being has a right to live and be who they are no matter where they are. So I know that about myself and I can trace where that story exists within myself and where that story came from. And so really knowing that, it fires me up to share of myself with other people when I bring an issue to them. So when I say, hey, I support Black Lives Matter. It's not just, hey, I support this kind of obscure idea that's floating out there on the internet. I have a personal story that's attached to this movement and why I care about it. Um, Also, if you are one person who kind of feels like there's so much, so many issues out there, there's so much to tackle, arm yourself with education. So if you are talking about police abolition, don't just share a social media post and not really know what that means. Like actually go and do the research. Uh, Look up Angela Davis, look up Ruth Gilmore and do the reading um, and really just arm yourself. So that way when you are having those conversations with other people, whether they're in your own family or they're on Twitter or they're on Instagram, you can actually can come from a place of knowing and a place of knowledge, but also your personal story matters as one person and you might be surprised to know that if you just talk to your friends or you talk to family members you might realize that those you love aren't even aware of the issues that you care about so start with yourself go out into your immediate community and then get bigger from there
0: when you've been out in in Los Angeles and the Glendale community and you're you're taking part you're seeing you're observing the social movements that are taking place how can you describe you know i I'm too young to have been around for the 60s, but you think about the political protests, the civil rights protests back then, there was always words like an aura and an energy and a, and a high movement to, to accomplish their cause. What kind of energy, what kind of vibes are you getting from the people that you've been around when it comes to trying to, again, affect change on these very important social topics?
1: Yeah, so to answer that, um, I've, one of the biggest things I've been doing is following the community back in Florida, because I, I lived there for six years and organized there. Um, and so I'm kind of observing from afar because I can't presently be in Florida. So it's kind of, it's kind of, um, so I, living in two worlds. So here in the community, I feel as if the the protests have been calm, the marches that I've seen. Um, it's kind of been kind of like, a doomsday vibe. I mean, going downtown and seeing, you know, boards on, you know, over glass, seeing the Whole Foods closed and that sort of thing. It just kind of feels like a doomsday vibe, having helicopters fly overhead. That was really rough. That happened for like three days. And it felt like um, law enforcement was getting prepared for something that equivalent to war. (laughs) And for me, it, it didn't feel that way. I felt like there were concerned Americans who were out in the streets protesting for what they believed was the right thing to do and what was right. And it felt like they were using their constitutional rights as Americans, Um, myself as well. And um, there's also been a level of urgency. So one of the reasons why I'm part of this group is because we realize protests are great and they're especially great when it's in response to something major, like seeing that nine minute video of uh, the police officer with his knee on George Floyd's neck. Urgency is not it's traumatizing, but there's also a level of urgency because you don't want this to happen again, but you also have to take care of yourself. So I've also felt a sense of urgency and a sense of anger and deep sadness um, and I've been using that urgency and putting it specifically towards this group of people and this project where we're wanting to create change beyond the protests.
0: And I know you alluded to this a little bit earlier um, with the 21 day project. Give us some insights into some of the core tenants of the project, and just, again, how it, it can be used as a, as a vehicle to, to make an impact on society.
1: Yeah, so basically, the purpose of this project is to create a foundation, an educational foundation, where we're giving people information about, number one, how racism exists in America, and how it's perpetuated, and what, what it is you can do about it. And then we're encouraging and pushing people to act. And specifically by acting, we're pushing for folks to register to vote, to register to vote by mail, and to connect with their family members and their friends in their social circles to encourage them to do the same. Because protesting is necessary, going out there and marching is necessary, holding up signs is necessary but you also elect those sheriffs. You also elect those attorney generals. You, you elect those mayors. So if we're not following up by voting and by putting the right folks in positions of power, then for me it feels like we're turning our wheels. So this project is incredibly important because it's getting people to build the habit of going out and actually participating in elections and putting the folks in positions of power who uphold the laws and who have the power to change those laws.
0: And how can people find out more information about the project and get involved in their own neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, so we're we're going to launch. It's looking like September. And so more information will be given and people can definitely follow me on social media, but there will be a page for the project itself. I don't want to give too much away because we're still <laughs> in our early phases, but um, it, it'll launch in September.
0: Flows, we, uh, we call that a tease in the industry. <laughs> teasing ahead to some some pretty cool big project again, making a big impact on society by focusing on the smallest thing. It's just getting people active and involved and knowing about the issues. And then it always amazes me the fact that we take the right to vote for granted, it seems like. I mean, you look at the presidential election in 2016 had less than 50% voter turnout and people for so long were neglected and denied the right to vote And it's never been more important than the upcoming election. And then after that, every election is the most important election because you have to use your voice to try to impact change. And you can't complain if you don't participate and actually put your vote to use.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a different idea about the complaining because I think as long as you're on American soil, you have a right to say what you like and don't like. (laughs) I totally agree with you. I think I struggle with this because there are some folks within the activism and organizing community who feel like, well, America's um, election process is, it doesn't work and it's broken. And, um, the two party system is the old way of doing things. And while I totally agree with some of those things, I also hold the belief that, well, this is the system we exist in presently. So unless there's a massive movement to actually topple this entire thing. And right now it's a slow moving movement. Right. And (laughs) but the thing is, it's not, there aren't like constitutional changes that are saying otherwise. So because that's the case, We still have George Floyd to worry about. We still have the Breonna Taylors to worry about. We still have to worry about Black people and people of color living in this country. And we have to make sure this country is safe for them. And for me, the way to do that is to elect the right people who who are gonna move fairly and move justly. Because right now, a lot of our representatives do not move fairly and they do not move justly. And that's a problem.
0: When you mentioned earlier the driving force behind what you do being your personal story this drive to organize and make society better than the way you inherited it. Where did that story come from? Where did you get that, that spark and that really drive to wanna to make a difference?
1: My dad. <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in uh, La Valle Jacques Haiti. It's the Southeast region of Haiti. By the time I was born, my dad was in 1992, my dad was pretty actively involved in politics. This was around the time um of president aristide and um and so by the time that i could remember and actually have you know real memories i guess that's what remembering is um my dad was having these meetings with men you know in our living room in our yards he was having meetings in churches people were coming to you know talk about change they wanted to see in the community When there was a problem, people came to our home, and I saw my dad take all of those complaints and those problems, and he took political action, and he ran for office, and he won, and I I believe he was the first elected congressman for our district in the southeast region of Jacmel. And um, there is lots of political unrest in Haiti. There, that's been kind of like historically the case in Haiti. Anytime there's a change in power, there's unrest, Um, and. It became very dangerous for my family. Like my dad was experienced what I would I would attribute <laughs> to voodoo. So that just depends on who listens to this. But I, but he experienced um, very a very bad physical ailment. Um, friends of his were arrested. People he knew were tortured. My grandfather was arrested. Uh, we had people come into our backyard with guns. Like our lives were in physical danger. But my dad still kept pushing forward ultimately, we had to seek refuge and come to the United States. But my dad still maintained that fight of wanting to make Haiti better. And I think growing up and seeing that, it just kind of showed me that if something's going on wrong in your community, like you need to put put yourself out there and do something about it. You need to seek justice.
0: And I think there's no greater uh, truth to that than actually putting those words into practice. You've clearly taken on and embraced you know, that activist spirit, that community organizer spirit, but it's also taken many different forms too. Can you run the gamut for us from your work uh, in the 2016 presidential election and the work from Move On uh, to your work with affordable housing policies? Run the gamut for for us, flows, as to the types of community organizing that you've done, and maybe give us an example of where you feel like you've really made a profound impact.
1: My first experience with organizing was in high school and Um, It was specifically because our school board, which at the time was predominantly Hasidic Jewish men, were making decisions about the public school, which, you know, their kids didn't attend the public schools. We attended the public schools and schools were closing down. And for me, it just became clear that, you know, this is an issue. I have to do something about it. So I attended some school board meetings and I realized, okay, we've got a lot of problems here. And, um, Specifically, what the problems were is funding was being funding allocated that should be allocated for public schools were being taken and transitioned to yeshivas, and I mean this is was a huge issue. This is Spring Valley High School, the Rockland, the Rockland County uh, school district, and you can look this up. There's a major New York Times article about it. Um, I believe it's like them versus them or something like that. But anyway, so I saw that guidance counselors were getting cut, I saw that schools were closing, um, I saw that my education was in danger, and that of my, my brother, my younger brother, was going to be attending the same high school as I. Um, so I decided I'm going to take action. So I started attending more school board meetings. I picked up, you know, clearly what the problem was, and then I organized a, a march, and we had like over 100 students attend this march. So that was like my first experience organizing my community and seeing the impact that it has. Um, and while for the long term, let's who knows how much of a difference that actually made, but it lit a fire in me to keep doing justice work. And so when I graduated college, I went on to work as a community organizer. I trained as a community organizer for a year, and I specifically worked on drafting affordable housing policy in Miami Dade County. And that work really impacted me because I was working with folks who were extremely low income and low income, um, as well as other income brackets, but predominantly folks of that that income breakdown. And I was training them on how to speak up for themselves, teaching them how to do research, and then watching them just kind of take action and speak up and speak to their own personal stories in front of these county commissioners. And that was really impactful for me. And it showed me how powerful the power of people is. But from there, I, I became kind of a, a bit discouraged because I saw that you, you take a step forward and then you take many steps back. And sometimes that is just the nature of organizing around policy. Uh, but I became really fired up by Bernie um, and uh, by his progressive agenda. And so I started paying attention to the national elections more. And I thought, well, maybe if I go bigger, I'm able to have a larger impact on some of these smaller issues. Should have known from Barack Obama's experience that grassroots is always the best, the best place to go. Um, but anyway, so I went on to work the 2016 election. And of course, we know how that turned out. And so I went back local. And so I went on to manage four local city commission races. And what that taught me is that the place that you can have the biggest impact is locally because your local electorate is who is deciding what happens with roads, what happens with schools, uh, what happens with jobs that are coming into the city, like that's where the biggest impact happens. And that really was an eye opener for me. And although I'm still very much focused on national elections, I wanna kind of get folks to really pay attention to their city commission races, pay attention to the midterm elections, I believe my first city commission race in Delray, like about 8% of the population votes. So <laughs> 8% of the population in, in that specific city gets to decide what happens to your roads, your schools, your parks, jobs in your community. Um, that is insane.
0: Take us back in the day, you're a 2014 graduate. So you're coming to Syracuse. What made you choose the Orange as the place to, uh, to study?
1: Yes, great question. Uh, So in high school, when it came time to figure out, I think junior year when you're taking all your exams and trying to figure out where you want to go, my head sort of blew up. Uh, (laughs) America is not my home country. My parents weren't familiar with it. So the process was really tough. Uh, But Syracuse stood out to me because we went to a program with Maximo Patino in New York City, specifically for folks who are interested in Newhouse. And he was really welcoming. Uh, he had a diverse panel there of students who had graduated from Syracuse University or who were presently students. And they talked about their experiences there. And it just, it stood out to me among the universities that I was looking at and possibly you know, wanting to attend.
0: You get a degree in sociology, you get a degree in public relations. How do you feel your time at Syracuse and your studies in those two fields, how did they prepare you for this role as a community organizer Was really engaged with where you live.
1: Yeah, I think sociology for sure prepared me for that, because, I mean, all of the readings I remember doing in sociology had to do with human beings, how they live, how they interact with each other, how they interact with their community. And it really just kind of gave me depth, but also gave me, I think, the patience to really put myself in another human being's shoes. And to really sympathize and empathize with them, and then to take action. I mean, I mentioned Dr. Jackie Orr <laughs> to, to Jay uh, the other day because she stands out to me because she was this white woman, short, you know, hair kind of like rock star style, and she wore these black boots that sort of were like combat boots. And that was surprising to me because I just never seen a woman look like that, like in real life, and. Um, (laughs) it just, but she was like, so incredibly inspiring. And I just kept feeling like, wow, she's such a badass. And a lot of the subjects that came up in class were uncomfortable for me, but I was put in position where I had to step outside of my comfort zone. And by uncomfortable, I grew up Catholic and Haitian Catholic, and that's pretty conservative. Um, and so I'm learning about, you know, LGBTQ issues and I'm, questioning my own homophobia and that, how that exists in my community. And I'm learning about riots in, you know, California. And it just really put me in a position where I can kind of understand just civil unrest, the history of civil unrest in the United States, but could also understand the people behind those movements and that change. And that truly has impacted my career as a community organizer. I don't know if I would have chosen that path had I not been studying sociology for four years.
0: And it's amazing to see how you've taken, you know, again, the sparks and the seeds of of change and turn them into what you're currently working on. I wanna highlight um, the right to Heal workshop that we're gonna talk about here right now. You're a a published poet, you've done spoken word poetry before, you mentioned doing some plays and doing some playwriting, uh, but you've also got this great project called Right to Heal, this workshop where, in your own words, the goal is to help people heal from trauma through writing. Take us through the nexus of this project, what your thought process was, and how you feel that writing can really serve as a valuable tool to deal with coping with trauma.
1: So by the time I was, you know, eight years old moving to the United States, um, I had dealt with lots of trauma. First, being displaced from my home country, uh, my dad almost dying, fear for our lives. That's a lot. Um, But I was also experiencing physical abuse and sexual trauma. So I went through quite a bit in my young life. And by the time I moved to America, um, I was carrying all of that. And I don't, you know, can't even imagine what my eight-year-old self was going through. But I found kind of solace and peace in writing. And writing became this therapeutic place for me to go and to write whatever it is I was feeling. Um, And so, knowing how much writing has done for me, and now that I've gone through therapy because though writing is therapeutic, it is not therapy and everybody should seek out therapists uh, for their trauma and the issues they're going through. But knowing how therapeutic writing is for me, I kind of want to open that door for other people and want to kind of welcome them to kind of process their trauma, whether it's small, whether it's big. Um, And I say trauma and disturbances because sometimes we think of of trauma being like these big things. And we don't think of the fact that maybe a breakup is something that's traumatic and could be disturbing or the fact that we're all going through a pandemic right now. Um, And so I wanna take people in, allow them to kind of heal and write and write through healing, but then to do it in community. And right now we aren't able to be together physically, but we do have a Zoom community. And so I take folks through a meditation, I take them through a prompt, and I take them through writing exercises. And I also mediate the conversation in a way where people can give feedback to each other and relate to each other's experiences.
0: How have you found the response to be from participants? Because, look, I'm with you. I love writing. My writing is different than the writing you guys are going through with the workshops, but it still serves the same function of expression and and helping to deal with a lot of the the feelings that we're going through right now. So, especially during the pandemic, how have you found the response been to these Right to Heal workshops?
1: Really good. So we had the first one, we, I, (laughs) I had the first one in June and I believe 32 people signed up and 28 people came, which are pretty good odds. Um, and the second one is scheduled for this Sunday. So we're going to see how that pans out, but I've done these physically in person back in Florida um, and they, the response is always wonderful. I mean, It always surprises me how much people desire to share about their lives and of themselves that they always feel like they don't have an outlet to share. And so when I create kind of like this environment and folks come in and they're able to share of themselves, and then they realize, oh, my God, I'm crying in front of a group of people, but this is safe. And someone else has gone through this similar experience. It kind of makes them feel connected and they feel less lonely in whatever it is they're experiencing. And so the response is, is really solid.
0: I know that you talk about community and you talk about having people you know, in your corner, so to speak, who can help you get through the situations you're dealing with. One of the things I love the most about the alumni network for Syracuse is we are, you know, we have people from uh, 241,000 alumni from around the world, and chances are pretty good you haven't met a fraction of all the alumni out there, but we have that common bond and that common thread of bleeding orange and having attended Syracuse. For you, Flows, what does it mean to you to be a graduate, to be an alumna of Syracuse, and what kind of special role does the university play in your life?
1: Yeah, that's a tough question right now, because <laughs> I've been um, reading about some troubling uh, race relation things um, at Syracuse University, and um, I'm hoping the university will take a stance and be more supportive of Black students and students of color. So right now, that's what it means, and that's, that's where my process of thought is. Um, but it also is, it is a beautiful community. I, when I first attended Syracuse University, I came from a town that was very diverse and so Syracuse was a shocker for me and I often talk about the fact that my first semester I was considering leaving because I just felt really out of place and um, I mean I stayed because of poetry I stayed because of the verbal blend community that Cedric created and in staying at Syracuse University and starting to find my niche more um, I found community and I studied abroad with a group of people who I'm still in touch with, like some of my greatest friends are from that cohort of, of Madrid students. Um, one of them being Ola, um, I was just texting her, but she's a, she bleeds ho- uh, orange much much more than I do. She's, I mean, she's organized alumni events. Um, she works at Twitter and she's constantly just promoting Syracuse and um, I love her. But so anyway, Syracuse for me, it's, it has helped me create these lifelong connections and people who I consider friends for life. So that's really awesome.
0: You know there's a lot of people that have similar viewpoints that you do about the current climate, what's been happening, but it's good to hear that you can separate that from the fact that there still are great compassionate people and alumni and professors who really made an impact in your career. And it's it's amazing how many people swear by the study abroad, the Syracuse abroad program. I went to London for a semester, traveled all over Europe, you went to Madrid, it really seems like that was a life-changing experience for you, having that Syracuse abroad uh, experience.
1: It is, I mean, because you're literally, when you're at the university, for me, I felt small, like, right? I'm this small person, part of this really large um, community, and it's predominantly white where with the cohort, it's you travel with these 20 or so people. And our cohort was pretty diverse. And we, we applied, some of us um, out of the Newhouse community and the TRF program and journalism, we applied together and we got in. And so I had a small group of friends that I knew going in and who looked like me, which made a big difference. But it was a small cohort. You travel with them for four months and you study with them and you're, in, you're going through this process of newness together. And that really brings... Brings, brings folks close, and so that it did that for me.
0: Well, flows. we've really enjoyed the opportunity to have you here on the Alumni Podcast, sharing your story as an engaged community organizer, talking about the project, the 21-day project coming up later on this fall, and also the workshop, Right to Heal, and your poetry, and so much more of your Orange story. We've really enjoyed getting to meet you, getting to share your story, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward with all your future endeavors.
1: Thank you. It was great to be on.
0: <laughs> Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the CUSE Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.